And the, the sermon is going to come from verses 6 and 9 of Hebrews chapter 13. I'm going to read those first five verses to make sure we have context since I've been gone for a couple of weeks. And we might need reminding. As I said in my prayer, the, the writer of Hebrews has taken the first ten chapters. Uh, and, and, and the order is super important. The order is super, super important. The, the author has taken ten chapters to tell us about Jesus. That he is supreme over everything, over every ruler, over every prophet. Uh, that, that he is the one that we are attached to. That he is the one uh, that gives us assurance and security. Will someone turn off the air, please? Is anybody else freezing? Is anybody not freezing? <laughs> All right, Brad, you can take your shirt off, everybody else. Uh, <laughs> Ten chapters, he has told us. That, that, that to lose Jesus is to lose everything. That, that everything in the Old Testament, everything pointed to him. And then chapter 11, we just had that beautiful Old Testament hall of fame that listed how faith affected all of the saints that have gone before us. Uh, and, and the beautiful part of chapter 11 is it, it, it talks about all the victories of faith, but it also talks about all the martyrs of faith. Uh, and, and it's so good for us as a people because we tend to perseverate on uh, if I have faith then life's going to be great I'm going to have everything I want and that's not what the scriptures teach the scriptures teach if you have faith you can stand firm when things don't go the way you want when things are difficult and then we came to chapter 12 and chapter 12 has this beautiful picture where he's saying you're not going to Mount Sinai you're not going to the mountain where the law was given that was shaking and violent and people were afraid and they, they put up a barrier and said don't, don't approach don't look at God don't come near him you're not going to that mountain you're going to Mount Zion and he's like here's where we're going people though it's tough though it's difficult we're going to the heavenly city we're moving towards living with God and again, for the Hebrews, okay, so they were Jewish people primarily, uh, this promise that you can find in, I think, every book in the Old Testament. Our God says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. My soul, he says, will not abhor you. That's a word we don't use, but abhor means be disgusted by, be put off by, uh, have, have the, the smell of something awful, abhor. Our God says, I am going to be your God. Not, I hope to be your God. I'll be your God if you please, please let me. I need you. No, he's not said that. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will expend everything in my power to make you my people. And so uh, these Hebrew followers scattered all over the world, suffering great loss. He puts that picture of Mount Zion. And then I believe that he is closing chapter 13 and saying, now that we know all of this is true, now that we know where we're going, how will we live together as a people? And Christian community is extremely difficult. Probably the biggest lesson of my pastorate. I remember coming out of seminary and just thinking, the grace of God is so wonderful. Christian community should be the easiest thing on the planet. Only to pastor a church. <laughs> And find Christian community is extremely difficult. Um, one of the reasons it's extremely difficult is because of the gospel, because of our idolatry, and because God is not finished with us. 
and we move into a community that's not just come here and, and be loved and be happy and be told you're pretty and beautiful and you smell good. No, you move into a community where you invite people to look into your life with critical eyes. You invite people to see things that you yourself don't see. Christian community is like a marriage. You are inviting someone into your life and you're making a commitment to that person in your life knowing that they will, as Jake prayed the other day for our church, iron will sharpen iron. And it will get messy and it will get painful. And so the writer is saying, you'll suffer all these things together. But now here is how you'd live. And so the first, uh, we looked at the first five verses the last couple weeks, Hebrews 13. Um, and I think that first phrase, verse 1, let brotherly love continue. I, I think that phrase, people, is, is what he is fleshing out in all the rest of it. Let brotherly love continue. So uh, the first message a few weeks back was the Christian community is a community of love. And um, I talked about how I wish we had a different word for it because love has it's really lost its intent and its meaning from the scriptures. You can go back and listen to that message if you want, but he is fleshing out what brotherly love looks like. And he says in verse 2, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Right? Christian love says, I, I love you. You're, uh, you're the object. I am, I, am, I am thinking of you. Worldly love says, I am the object. I'm going to move towards you because I love me. I'm going to move towards you because I love me and you're going to make my life better. And we say that's love, but it's not. You say, I love someone because they do this, 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 this for me. They make me feel this way. You're really saying, I love me. And they love me, and so I'm going to accept them. Christian love says, I love you, and I find out what makes you tick and what's right for you. And so that's what he's putting out here. So do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Verse 3, remember those who are in prison. We talked about empathy, as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. What's he saying? Uh, as one part of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. And then, a couple, then after that, we looked at Christian community part two. It is a community of contentment. Verses four and five. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Christian community, community of love, a community of contentment. And this morning, a community of truth. The next two messages, a community of worship and a community of accountability. Three Rivers Church, that is what we are striving as a church that's what we strive as officers and those in charge and those who teach. We'll be a community of love, a community of contentment. The gospel gives a contentment that we can't get with idols. A community of truth. Again, love is truth. A community of worship and a community of accountability. This morning, Christ Community Part 3, a community of truth. Our main text, Hebrews 13, picking up at verse 6. Please stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. So we can confidently say, because of all that's preceded, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. 
Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. As withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. It is not our natural inclination to seek a community of truth. It is our natural inclination to seek and be a part and be committed to a community that affirms us where we are. That doesn't necessarily challenge us. Unless that community has as its goal the betterment of some part of your life. So you might enter a community of axe throwers. Right? I haven't done that yet, by the way. I know some of you have. Well, I mean, I have, but it's been to the neighbor's trees and stuff. But, I mean, you know, not, not, the, you know, not the kind that you find in the bar there with the hatchets. But, but you, you, some communities you enter, and the express intent is, as we meet together, we'll get better. We'll learn better techniques. And, and, and we have, again, a common goal, common community, and a com- even common language. But, but for the most part, we don't seek communities that are going to be of truth. And the sad part is many churches are deplorable communities of faith. They have become instead communities of blanket affirmation, communities built upon lies, communities built upon shallowness, and a continuing lowering of the standards of belief. We want easy truths, not hard when we are prone to gravitate towards an easy community. Let me tell you my process with you. Just so you are aware. I tend to try and build trust amongst you as a church. That trust from you as a church came to Tammy and I really quickly. (laughs) In fact, we would say the fastest ever. I, I remember us talking six months into being here, like, wow, we haven't had to prove a lot to these people for them to open their hearts to us, to tell us some dark, painful truths, and for us to work together on things. My goal is to build and develop trust and a trust in the gospel. So sometimes when I preach, I'll tell you about things I've struggled with. I'll recount. Tammy and I had an argument. Tammy and I fought. Remember a couple weeks ago when I said I had a sermon on contentment? And Tammy said, that's good. I'm going to go work in the nursery. (laughs) I tell you those things so that you know we are a people that rest on the grace of God, not on our works. So that I build trust that when you talk to me, you talk to your leaders that you don't have this sense that uh, the Kuipers, Three Rivers, has uh, the good people, the righteous people, and the, and the sinners. No. Uh, Three Rivers Church has those who are humble and those who are proud. And if you are proud, we'll seek to humble you. And if you're humble, we'll seek to point you to the glorious grace of Christ. So we tend to uh, want to build this trust so that we can have truthful conversations. So that I can confront 
And if I've ever confronted any of you, I hope that it has gone this way. Do you know I love you? Do you know I want what's best for you? It's the exact same conversation I had with my kids as they got older. Son, daughter, before I say no, before I confront you on your attitude, before I deny something that you feel like you deserve or you want, do you know I love you? Do you know that I I am seeking your best? And so the order of this text, a community of love, a community of contentment, and now a community of truth makes absolute sense. So often the church is a community that is held together by legalism, social constructs, uh, political activism, things based on race or age, music preference, economic standards, a community based on who has the best children's programs right now, or where my peers are. How's their childcare? I think I told you this, one of the weirdest times for me was in St. Louis one Sunday, three families showed up and it was our early service, which we didn't have a whole lot of folks come to. The early eight o'clock service and these three families showed up and I met them at the door and they said, "Um, the PCA church across town, they quit their eight o'clock service. So we're here now. I just remember in my mind thinking, that's really all it took? Was just a change of schedule and and now they're gonna be here? And they were with us for three years. And then we moved our eight o'clock service to nine (laughs) o'clock and went from three to two services. And I remember thinking, hey, I wonder if we're gonna lose those folks. We've been together for these three years. I've been to their kids' recitals. I've been, you know, I mean, just like, they've been a part of our community. And I even wrote them a letter preemptively saying, here's why we're doing this, and I hope this doesn't make a difference. Ghosted. Not even a response. Just never saw them again. A community based upon the ease of fitting into my schedule. So uh, that's not to be. Christ's community. Christ's community is to be marked by truth. And so as we work through our text this morning, we're going to look at uh, what that means for us to be a community of truth. It means that, first of all, that we seek and we stay with truthful leaders. November 18, 1978. 1978, I was 14 years old. And Time Magazine came to my home. Uh, Dad got Time Magazine. And on the cover was a picture from Jonestown in Guyana. Anybody remember Jonestown, Guyana, November 18, 1978? Three, 918 deaths. Over 300 were children. Jim Jones, the People's Temple, a leader from the United States, took all his people over to Guyana and they started a new community. And he got 918 of them to take the Kool-Aid. Have you ever heard the term, don't drink the Kool-Aid? It's where it comes from. Cyanide-laced Kool-Aid or some kind of drink. 918 people. Um, But there's more devastating losses than that. I mean, that is one of those obvious false leaders. There was David Koresh, not too long after that, uh, and his followers, many of them burned to death again. I think 30-some children died. Um, you know, we, we, 
the people who followed those people, they didn't know where they were going. You know, they didn't sign up to sell everything and move to South America in order to drink the Kool-Aid. They got led astray, little by little, slowly, slowly, slowly led away. And so our writer here says, remember your leaders. And then he describes what a leader should be. Super important. Remember your leaders. This is remember your leaders, church people. And I think there is an intent in saying remember your leaders. Is he, he's, a lot of them have died. A lot of them have been martyred. Remember your leaders. What's the mark of the leaders of the church? And we've got to be careful with who we appoint as leaders. I have it in my notes. Stay in your lane, bro. <laughs> Sometimes, as an American community, if a celebrity becomes a Christian, all of a sudden everybody listens to him. You know, like, hey, it's so great, so-and-so became a Christian. Let's let him teach now. You realize the Apostle Paul, okay, think about this, Saul of Tarsus, persecutor of the church, a Pharisee, uh, he got converted by a personal encounter with the risen Christ. Yeah, his conversion was so powerful that it just, just changed the whole course of his life from persecuting to being persecuted. He had all that training as a Pharisee. He was schooled more than any of our seminary students were schooled as a Pharisee. And yet, you realize it was three years at least before he even presented himself as someone ready to teach? Three years in the desert where he says, I was discipled by Christ for three years in the desert. It wasn't, I became a Christian, I know my Old Testament. What do you think was going on those three years? Absolutely, the Lord was taking him through the Old Testament and everything that he had learned and saying, oh, you didn't see this because you had those blinders on your eyes and now you see my son from Genesis all the way to Malachi. Now you see the Christ all the way through. That's why his letters are so full of great Old Testament quotes. Three years. Seek and stay with truthful leaders. The first mark is that they know the truth. They know the truth. The truth. We use creeds. We used a creed, chapter uh, question 22 this morning, of the New City Catechism. Creeds are vitally important. They don't replace the Bible in any way. They summarize what the Bible teaches. There's a creed in this text. It's probably the whole summary of the book of Hebrews. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You realize that's a creedal statement that the church would have held to in the midst of persecution. They probably would have said to one another, whispered back and forth, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The leader must know the truth. And so, you know, when we put a leader in our church... When we lay hands, and in June I get to go and be a part of laying hands on a, on a guy that was an elder in California. So uh, the week of June 13th, Tammy and I will be gone in Colorado. It's, it's one of the most privileged things I get to do is to see that next generation of pastors come along. Uh, we'll put our hands on him. But do you realize what that man has gone through before he is designated as a leader? Years of training, testing in the Bible, in languages. They must know the truth. Our officers at Three Rivers had to take tests, written tests. Do they know the truth? Before we designate someone as a leader, someone having accountability and responsibility in the church, do they know the truth? 
Not are they a good leader in business. Not do they give a lot of money to the church. Do they know the truth? Second, do they speak the truth? Remember your leaders who spoke it to you. It's not enough to know the truth. We must be willing to speak it forthrightly. My next series is going to be in Proverbs. Some of you will get offended. Please don't leave when you get offended. Don't leave. Don't get frustrated. If you do, if that's why you leave, then you're just fitting exactly what the text says. I'm going to find someone who tells me what I want to hear. If you get offended, call me. If I'm misinterpreting what the Proverbs say, then hold me accountable. It's your duty. It's your vow as a member of the church. Speak it to you. Sometimes if you meet with me, I'll say, do you want my advice? And I usually ask because I'm probably going to tell you something you may not want to hear. Are you sure you want my advice? I, I, I have some thoughts if you want. Do you want my advice? Sure. Okay, here it is. I seek to make a difference, uh, to differentiate between what is uh, Kuiper rules. Some of you are familiar with the Kuiper rules. Tammy tried to break one yesterday. She, she tried to break Kuiper rule number one. Does anybody know Kuiper rule number one? Very good, very good, church. <laughs> very, very good. Might be a sad state that you memorize that. Kuiper rule number one, don't force it. But I tell my kids, that's a Kuiper rule. It's not the biblical rule. It's just one of my personal axioms. Don't force it. Does the, does the leader differentiate between, I think this is a good idea. This might be common wisdom. I might have read this elsewhere between this is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible mandates. Thirdly, they have a faith worth imitating. Look what our text says. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. What we do with our officers, what we do with anyone in charge in Three Rivers is we look at their lives. Does, does the, the fruit of their life, does it reflect a faith that is worth imitating? Now, human beings, we do that intuitively in all manner of places, right? We look at someone who is excelling in business, and we look at their success, and if we're a young businesswoman, we say, hey, can I have lunch with you? Hey, can I talk with you? I want to know what you do, why your life looks the way it does, because I want this result. And as a church, we're told to do the exact same thing. Look at the outcome of the lives of those who've gone before you. I hope we always stay this multi-generational church. Young kids and older people. Don't forsake the older people. Look at the outcome of their lives. It doesn't mean the outcome of their lives was perfect. Look at the outcome of their lives. Are they a person who is willing to say, please don't make this mistake. I made it, and I'm not so proud that I'm going to hide that I made this mistake. I'm not going to hide that what I did here was wrong. I'm not going to hide that I failed my children here. I'm not going to hide that I failed my wife here. Please don't make this mistake. I will speak truth to you. Look at the outcome of my life. The Lord has redeemed me, but it doesn't mean you look at someone's life, it's all peaches and all rosy. No, look at how they operate. Do they have a faith worth imitating? Seek and stay with truthful leaders. That means that we must learn to think critically about who we follow. 
What truth do they live out of? Do they know the truth? Do they speak the truth? Is their faith worth imitating? Secondly, in verse 8, what will these leaders give you? Well, these leaders will focus. Second, in the second point, it says to stay and stay, to seek and stay in the knowledge and life of Jesus. Your leaders will make much of Jesus, not themselves. That's why they're free to admit their failures. They will make much of Jesus. Verse 8, Jesus Christ. It's interesting, he has it sandwiched here. So, so he's got, remember your leaders who spoke the word of truth to you. Imitate their faith. What comes after this is, beware of false teachers. So sandwiched between that is, here's the creed. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Remember your leaders. Your leaders should have taught you this. Your leaders should go back to this. The writer of Hebrews has just done that. Jesus Christ was there at creation. He was there in the past. He is here today. The writer of Hebrews has said that even now. He has ascended and he sits at the right hand of the Father and he's interceding on our behalf. He is coming again to lead a host of captives in his train to the new Zion. Seek and stay in the knowledge of Jesus. There's that hymn that was written by, I think it's Dan Wistron, but it's actually based upon a sermon by his father, Jack. So he remembers his father preaching a sermon that was, called, that was titled, The Three Days of Every Christian. And maybe you know the hymn, you've, you've heard the hymn, Yesterday He Died for Me. Yesterday, 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 no, no. David, no, man. Yesterday he died for me, this is victory. Today he lives for me, lives for me, lives for me. Today he lives for me. I'm sorry, yesterday he died for me, that's history. Today he lives for me, that is victory. And tomorrow he comes for me, that is mystery. Yesterday he was the one at creation. He was the one who lived, died, and rose again, the unique and complete sacrifice, the perfect prophet, priest, and king. He is that same person. Do you believe that he is that same person today? I have sometimes uh, difficulties resting in that he's that same person. He's that same person that, that walked on planet Earth that was drawn towards the needy and the brokenhearted. He's that same Savior. He's that same Savior for you today. He is the same. He doesn't need to change. He doesn't need to learn. He's the same one who gave up the heavenly glory to suffer for your salvation. And he lives forever. There will be no change. He is eternally our Savior. Seek and stay in the knowledge and the life of Jesus. So what does that mean? That means be wary of any new teaching. Anything brand new that comes out. Like, well, I've, I've had this new revelation. Beware of it. Now, sometimes someone will, will have new insight into something, but I'm saying be, be, be very wary of that. And I know sometimes it's weird. You know, people come here and they're like, man, you're reading stuff that's 300, 400, 500 years old. I'm like, that's because it's lasted. Because it's true. Right. It's stood the test of time. We've changed maybe some of the words so we understand it, but be aware. Be aware of anything that's a new teaching. Our truth will triumph over our very tastes. 
and your leader should help you grow in appreciation of Jesus. Those you follow in the church, those who teach you, those you hold yourself accountable to, they should aid you in the growth of your love and appreciation of Jesus. Lastly, uh, seek and stay in truthful teaching. So he says, do not be led away here in verse 9. Uh, by diverse and strange teaching. Then he gets into worship, and we're going to talk about that next week. But do not be led away by diverse and strange teaching. Um, So one thing I think that the evangelical church has really failed to do is to call false teachers to account. It's kind of become almost non-Christian to say that person is a false teacher. That is a heretic. That one is preaching contrary to the gospel. If we do that, we're claimed to... People point us out as saying, oh, you're just so self-righteous. You think you're the only one that knows the Bible? No, absolutely not. But the Bible says, beware of false teachers. How do they approach us? They are as wolves in what kind of clothing? Sheep's clothing. Outwardly, they look the same. Inwardly, ravenous. He says, the writer says, don't be led away. And so I came up with about eight things that kind of trigger in my mind when I think of false teachers. Usually a false teacher offers, number one, they substitute repentance and faith for truths that are welcoming. They're easier to believe and they don't require costly decisions to be made. A false teacher substitutes repentance and faith for just plain truths that are just really easy to believe. It doesn't require any costly decisions to be made. It doesn't require me turning away from idols, sin patterns. Secondly, a false teacher substitutes holiness for ways that aren't as restrictive. It's as if holiness has no value anymore rather than what God is calling us to and making us into. Thirdly, a false teacher substitutes God having power over our lives to God giving us power to direct our lives. God having power over our lives. Him saying, I am God and there is no other. Follow me, serve me, get substituted to. Go and ask God to give you power to do your life the way you want. Fourth, false teachers substitute God's glory for a God who gives us glory. Fifth, substitute spiritual disciplines for laxity. Sixth, substitutes cheap grace Grace plus works for saving gospel grace. Substitutes the saving gospel grace of Jesus for tolerance and universalism. Ultimately substitutes a cheap grace for truth. We are to be a people marked by truth. We are to seek and to stay in truthful teaching. I'm going to give you just a little example. While I was gone, I know that Grove's graduation got moved to Sunday morning. And um, I know there are Facebook wars, and I'm not going to ever get in those Facebook wars, just so you know. I stay out of those Facebook wars. Um, But different people saying different things. Uh, One of the reasons I stay out of those Facebook wars is um, sometimes someone who agrees with you (laughs) 
will drag you down where you never meant to go. And so someone was complaining about it. And um, then another person commented and said, but where two or three are gathered, Jesus is with them. So Jesus is going to be there at graduation. And I really, really wanted to write below that in context. That verse pertains to church discipline. Are you telling me that at Grove's graduation, they're going to perform church discipline on the graduating seniors? Because that's what that verse means. It doesn't just mean where two or three of whatever, dogs, cats, are gathered, that Jesus is with them. You can't just take it out of context. And it just dawned on me, that's the importance of studying the scriptures, of learning how to study the scriptures, of studying the scriptures as they were given, in the context they were given, in a society that just cuts and pastes its favorite little clip from scripture to promote whatever we want to believe. Christ's community, brothers and sisters, it is a community of love. It is a community of contentment. It is a community of truth. And as far as our God gives us power, we long to make much of Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I, I don't think lightly of this text even concerning myself. My prayer is that all those who would ever listen of any teaching from my mouth would think more of you. That you, Holy Spirit, would wash even my prayers and even our teaching and everything that goes on in our body. Would you wash it with the truth of your gospel? Would we, Father, point all to you? Not to ourselves, not to our denomination or a theological grid, but to you, O oh Jesus. I thank you that you invite us into this sacrament in a very real way eating the body and the blood of Jesus, saying he is now with me. I belong to him. I've been purchased by him. He cares for me. He is with me. He has secured a place for me. Oh, Lord, take us closer to yourself. Protect us. As churches face uh, trials from all different directions, keep us close to your truth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.